Welcome everyone to our virtual panel discussion. A reminder that this session will be recorded and it will be posted at both the acceleratingwin.org and purposeful-leadership.org websites. And throughout today's session, you can submit any questions through the Q&A function on your Zoom screen. We're coming together today to address pandemic implications and a path to progress for women. And we're very excited that today's session is a joint effort of the Women in Industry Initiative and Take the Hill Leadership Podcast, both sponsored by the Roland School of Business at Point Park University. The Women in Industry Initiative is about educating and empowering, about accelerating the success of women-identified students and professionals. We strive to engage leaders, affect conversations, and encourage allyship through elevating experiences. There are a number of different initiatives through Women in Industry, including our Win Wednesdays virtual speaker series. We have speakers on campus when the climate allows, and we have an Accelerating Women in Industry workshop that happens in conjunction with International Women's Day in March. You can also support WIN through our website. I'm Doreen Saletti. I am involved with WIN, as is my colleague Sandy Mervosh. We are professors in the Roland School of Business, and I focus on marketing and sales. Sandy focuses on human resources management. So I'm going to turn it over to Sandy. Thank you, Doreen. WIN also seeks to include allies in our initiative. Allies play a critical role in the advancement of marginalized groups by emphasizing social justice, inclusion, and human rights. In the context of WIN, allies provide support through various platforms personally and professionally to enable the acceleration and equitable treatment of individuals identifying as women. In the spirit of allyship, we are joined today by the founders of Take the Hill podcast, which provides listeners the opportunity to increase their leadership capacity through deeply impactful conversations related to leadership, management, and organizational behavior. Dr. Patrick Mavahill and Dr. Dennis Furkatish. Thank you for having us here this morning, uh, both Sandy and Doreen. We're excited to have the pleasure of introducing your panel. And we'll begin with Dr. Furkatish. Yes, I'd like to introduce Dr. Angela Reynolds. Angela Reynolds is a native of New Haven, Connecticut, is committed to racial justice and gender equity. For 12 years, she was an assistant professor at a graduate school of public and international affairs at the University of Pittsburgh, where she taught statistics and performed research on housing policy, specifically affordable housing and fair housing. In 2012, she changed careers and joined the United Way of Southwestern Pennsylvania, where she most recently served as the senior director of United for Families and 211. Under her leadership, 211 expanded to cover 30 counties in PA and provided coverage for Southern Kentucky. She served on the state PA 211 board and 211 national steering committee. February 24, 2020, Dr. Reynolds transitioned to the YWCA of Greater Pittsburgh, where she serves as chief executive officer. <clears throat> the YMCA aims to eliminate racism, empower women, and promote peace and justice in our region. She is a mother of four, three adult children, and a sixth grader. 
and an associate pastor of her church. She resides in the Wind Gap neighborhood of Pittsburgh with her husband, youngest child, and her mother. Dr. Reynolds is the 2020 Athena Award recipient and has received awards for her community and housing work, including a proclamation from Pittsburgh City Council declaring Thursday, October 22nd, 2020, Dr. Angela Reynolds Day. She holds a PhD in public policy analysis from the Heinz School at Carnegie Mellon University, a master's of science in statistics also from CMU, and a bachelor's uh, degree in mathematics and a sociology minor from Brian Marr College. Welcome, Angela. Joining Angela this morning is Dr. Brittany Brinkman who is an associate professor of psychology and the program director for the PsyD program in clinical psychology at Point Park University here in Pittsburgh. Brittany is also the owner of BGB Consulting, which is a firm focused on nonprofit schools and organizations. Dr. Brinkman is on the advisory board for the Gwendolyn J. Elliott Institute at Gwen's Girls and the co-convener of Health and Wellness Working Group of Black Girls Equity Alliance. This group is of particular interest to Dr. Brinkman is the psychology of gender and social justice, and in particular, the lives of adolescent girls and the importance of designing, implementing, and evaluating prevention and early intervention programs. Brittany has received numerous awards, including the Presidential Citation from the American Psychological Association for her work as a citizen psychologist, Interdisciplinary Research Leaders Fellowship from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. She's even authored a book titled Detection and Prevention of Identity-Based Bullying, Social Justice Perspectives. Currently, Brittany serves as a teaching section editor for the Psychology of the Women's Quarterly Scholarly Journal. I'd also like to welcome Dr. Jessica Malvahill. Uh, Dr. Jessica Mulvihill is the Director of Education Abroad at Indiana University of Pennsylvania, where she is responsible for student exchange mobility. Jess Jessica has co-founded and chaired the Study Abroad Returnee Leadership uh, Symposium, which she serves returnee students in Pittsburgh and the greater Western Pennsylvania area. She is also a co-founder of National Study Abroad Day, which was first celebrated across the U.S. in 2020. Recently, Jessica led a group of graduate students to Cuba to present at a conference and help lead them in an immersive experience about international education. She was awarded IUP's Distinguished Staff Service Award for 2019 and 2000, or 2020 and a Fulbright IEA Award to Japan in 2020. She holds degrees in French education and foreign languages and obtained her doctorate in administration and leadership studies from Indiana University of Pennsylvania. Her professional passions include returning student support, providing leadership to new professionals and aspiring education abroad, abroad professionals and graduate students, personality research and mental health issues in education abroad. She loves to explore new places near and far with her husband and three boys. Welcome, Jessica. And rounding out our panel today, is Samantha Weber, who is a senior at Point Park University, who is majoring in human resource management with a marketing minor. Throughout her time at Point Park University, 
Samantha has held positions such as a Student Human Resource Association member. She's been part of the University Student Government, a member of the University Strong Women, Strong Girls Chapter, a member of the Roland School of Business Ambassadors. She has also been the president of the Student Human Resource Association. Right, the summer after her sophomore year, she also studied abroad uh, to Ireland through the School of Business and the HR program with Sandy Marvash and Professor Dorian Saletti. This April 2020, right, Samantha has begun a full-time position as a talent solution specialist with advanced sourcing concepts, which is a certified women-owned full-service talent solutions company. So welcome this morning to each and all of our guests. Now I would like to turn it back to Doreen to begin the conversation. Yes. Uh, well, we wanted to come back together both as uh, Take the Hill and as women in industry. And sometimes we keep ourselves muted. Sometimes we join together in conversation. But we are coming together for this event because COVID-19 has significantly impacted many aspects of life. It is magnifying challenges faced by women in the community and in the workplace, threatening to roll back the progress made by women over decades. For example, the unemployment rate nationally and here in Allegheny County show a greater impact on women since the pandemic. The most impacted industry nationally is hospitality and leisure. And similarly in Allegheny County, it's accommodation and food service, healthcare and retail, all industries employing greater numbers of women. And globally, 70% of healthcare workers and first responders are women. The UN finds that women are disproportionately affected in general by the pandemic with significant concerns around economic insecurity. Women are 1.3 times more likely than men to have considered stepping out of the workforce or slowing down their careers, particularly mothers, senior women, and black women. So today we come together to acknowledge the challenges further exacerbated by the pandemic and provide encouragement for a path forward through community and workplace collaboration. So I'd like to get us started with a question for each of our panel members. Uh, and perhaps we can start with you, Brittany. How has the pandemic impacted the notion of community for women? Well, thanks for um, having me here today. So I think the first thing is that it's really made visible what community is, right? And who the members of our community include. Um, and I think for a lot of women, um, they've been very aware of the members of their community who they did rely on, but also started to think more about all of the members of the community that we do rely upon that we don't always think about every day. Um, are the people who are working in the grocery stores and keep, have kept us fed throughout this, right? Our childcare workers, um, hospital workers, right? That people who are integral to our lives, but we maybe aren't thinking about every day, um, as well as trying to think about how we stay connected to the members of our community who we, you know, we're used to relying on um, and not being able to do that maybe in the way we're used to. So relying a lot more on technologies to stay connected to people, um, finding ways to uh, socially distance and try to um, be around other people. Um, but I think that um, for most people, just being more aware of who, who belongs to our community, how are they doing, how, how we need them, and how interwoven our lives are with them. <laughs> Sorry, kidding. <laughs> hey, we're all, many of us are working from home, so we have those, those wonderful distractions that occur at times. Uh, Samantha, from your perspective as a, an upcoming graduate and also your work in recruiting, how has the pandemic impacted 
the situation that maybe new grads and those who are looking for jobs have found themselves in? Um, so I've seen a bit of a pick up with the hiring process lately, um, but there's these worker bees, that is what I'll call them, but people are looking for more of those type of people rather than management or strategic planners. They want people to come in and do the job. And I think that's good for entry level because there's not these people that have all this experience with management who are trying to get these roles. And, you know, entry level recent grads, they don't have that management experience just yet. So that is good for it. But most of these roles are mid-level. You need to have five or six years of experience. So there is this lack of opportunity, but I think it's picking up a bit more as companies are adapting to the training, um, to being remote and working remote in general. I think that there's a lot of companies that are adapting faster than others, and it's starting to pick up a bit more now that COVID has been around for a bit longer. Well, I guess that's good news if things are starting to pick up and, and organizations are adapting as well as individuals are probably adapting to, the, to the, the next normal, I guess we could call it as well. And then kind of tying into that, Jess, you know, from your work at the university, how has the pandemic impacted women as students? What are you hearing? What are you seeing? So, I, I mean, it, at first glance, it really thinks you think, you may think, well, students, um, there shouldn't be a difference between men and women. But when you start peeling back the layers of it, you, we know that more women attend college than men. So right off the bat, um, you know, this, this could be very easily be a women's issue. Um, we also know that a student and many students, especially in our area, wear many different hats. So they're not just a full-time student. They may be a full-time student or a part-time student, but they also may be a caregiver for children or for parents or both. You know, um, they may be the middle and they've got, uh, they've got two crusts, right, that they're taking care of. But they also may be a full-time employee somewhere or a part-time employee so the layers just really keep adding on. So we know that um, we know that uh, the different the diff the pandemic adds another stress layer for for women. Um, so we have to keep that keep that in mind. And I think that the universities are um, really looking at this differently because it's not something that they've really ever had to consider before. Yeah, it definitely is a, a new environment for all of us to try to navigate. You know, and from that perspective, Angela, and, and your work with the YWCA and, and your deep involvement in community, how are you seeing the pandemic impacting women in community? So I wanna start by saying that women, we, we can't forget the gender equity study, right? So women were already facing challenges. And then when you intersect race and gender, African-American women, black women, brown women, were facing challenges to an even greater extent. So now layer a pandemic on top of that, where not only are you seeing challenges across communities and across states and across the nation, but then you have a situation where there were families and households, particularly many that were headed by women, that were already basically behind. So there are a lot of statistics and I, I don't wanna go into them, but there were things that I was working on before I came to, to YWCA where you know, two, out of, two out of five households did not have enough savings to whether like a $400 hit. All right, so now you have a pandemic, that's way more than $400, right? And then coming on and putting on top of that, and Jessica alluded to this when she was speaking, that women 
75% of women are in the situation of being caregivers. And then when you think about women, women spend 50% more time caregiving than males do. So she, when she spoke of that, that sandwich, I'm a sandwich. So before coming on this call, I had to run to the grocery store to get milk because when I went to the grocery store before, the milk that I needed from my daughter, who was in the other room doing her schoolwork, was not in the grocery stores. I had to make sure that I got that so that she had it. Then I had to check on my 80-year-old mother who also lives with me to make sure that she was okay and get her lunch ready and then do all of that, put in my camera, come on the call because I still have to work because I'm the primary breadwinner for my family, right? I'm not the only one. And so when you think about community, I think it's important for us to make sure that we have an us language. It's not them, right? It's not those people, like it's me and then it's them. No, all of us are in this situation together, but we've also all been in this situation together before COVID hit and before it came onto the shores. So one thing that I, I wanna say before I um, turn it back over is at YWCA, we were already serving people through our resource center to help them meet basic needs. I'm talking about keeping a roof over their head and also having food to eat. In the first quarter of this fiscal year, first quarter of this fiscal year, we served twice as many people as it related to housing crises than we did the whole year prior. And predominantly, these were women. Um, and I've seen arrearages since this pandemic that pale in comparison to rent arrearages that I saw when I worked for two-on-one. And housing was one of our primary reasons that people were calling. So the community is facing challenges. We need to be aware of that. We need to recognize that. Also in terms of, um, again, the caregiving aspects, the, as you refer to in terms of unemployment, but also the trauma that people are facing as it relates to the constant uncertainty. And even with the hope that the vaccine represents, I have a childcare center. I'm concerned about what that means in terms of which tier are they going to be on for vaccinations. So it's not over yet. We still need to be vigilant. Now that's an important point to bring up is that this isn't new. Many of these challenges aren't new. And many of us have been facing these challenges. You know, I'm part of the sandwich generation along with you. I have my daughter in the other room as well on her Zoom class. And I have my mother who lives with us as well that we've been caring for. And that was, you know, that had started before the pandemic, but certainly the challenges and the, the situations that we're facing and the decisions we have to make seem to be so much more significant now. It's added kind of a level of significance to that. Sandy, I'll turn it over to you. I'd like to continue along this path that Angela has started talking about. So Brittany, could you also speak to how these challenges have been intensified through the pandemic? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I really um, agree with, Dr. With, with what Dr. Reynolds said, which is I think it's really important that we recognize that it's mostly exacerbated existing problems and existing inequalities that maybe some people were not aware of at all. So it might be new information to them, but the problems aren't new, but we are seeing them um, get worse and become more urgent, right? So um, things around the gender and racial wage gap, right? So if you're already making less money for the same work, and now we're facing, you know, more layoffs and um, who's going to be impacted more by those pieces. Um, we also know um, a recent report came out in Allegheny County that we've lost over 15,000 childcare spots due to the pandemic. So that's going to push more people out of the workforce. And it, we already were in, um, we already had a scarcity of childcare and, and, 
you know, subsidized um, and high quality childcare in particular. So who's going to get the spots that are left, right? So I think it's going to continue to deepen those inequalities. Um, we also know there's a lot of research, uh, you know, I'm a psychologist, so I know the kind of the, the psychological research as well, um, that women are often asked to carry the emotional workload, um, both in their homes and at work, right? So in the workplace, um, women are more often expected to do service roles, um, to sort of take care of each other. Um, so when everyone's stressed and um, the, you know, the needs of you know, emotional burden is going up, women are disproportionately being asked to take care of those pieces, um, as well as the primary caretaking in the homes that we've talked about. Um, I think another uh, area that we've seen exacerbated is in education. Um, so here um, in Allegheny County, you know, Pittsburgh Public Schools is our largest school district, and we know that the differences in resources available, even within the same district, is really stark. So some schools, the kids already had access to laptops or iPads, were ready to go online learning pretty quickly. Um, and other schools and other children, including in particular black and brown children, still don't have access to online learning, right? So thinking about the ways as a parent, you are trying to ensure that your kids have, uh, are, are continuing on with their education, um, it, depending on what school they're in, they may or may not have, even now, right, it's November, and some kids still don't have the laptops and resources they need. So again, I think, um, it's the, the, maybe the thing we can do with this is increase awareness, right? So people didn't know these inequalities existed. Hopefully they're hearing that they do exist now um, and we really need to, to take some action on them. So to follow up to that, do you think women are at risk of losing ground, so to speak, uh, professionally, personally, because of these intensified challenges? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, we know that the, there's a lot of researchers who focus on uh, women in the workplace. Um, a few reports have come out. Uh, the McKinsey report found that in August and September, more than a million people have dropped out of the workforce. 80% of them are women, right? Um, and it's not because women are just choosing to leave their jobs. It's because, first of all, they're often paid less, right? So if you're just in a situation where you're like, who's who can like who can we afford to do fewer hours or step back to stay home and take care of the kids it might be the partner that's being paid less right so the wage gap um, definitely is impacting this uh, we also know that workplaces that are inflexible around um, hours or expectations or needing to um, take care of your kids or you know um, knowing that you might have to step away from a meeting because you're you know your kids in the other room trying to learn on their you know their classroom um, that that's going to have a disproportionate impact um, on women. And we are seeing that in um, the workplace, this is going to, I think, have long-term effects. So if somebody drops out of the workplace or steps back for a period of time, um, it might have a long-term impact on their trajectory for promotions, um, to re-enter the workplace. They might get questions from employers about that gap, even though, you know, there's a global pandemic, right? But we know that when women do take time away and come back into the workplace, they are often scrutinized for those decisions. Um, there's some research coming out, in particular in academia, women who are on the tenure track who are um, taking on these extra burdens of childcare, of emotional labor with their own students, um, are putting out less um, scholarship. There's report after report across disciplines that men continue to publish and women are publishing less. 
Um, and so in tenure track jobs that um, value research productivity over service or teaching, um, that might put people back um, for years, um, preventing them potentially from getting tenure or promotion. So I think a lot of, a lot of us are very worried about not just the, both the immediate impacts on women, but also potentially you know, the long-term effects um, on women in the workplace. Oh, oh, and um, Dr. Reynolds, could you also contribute to that conversation on, you know, are, are we going to see women losing ground because of this? So we can have the short answer, yes, right? And then we can also move forward to, since we recognize that there will this be this potential loss in ground, we're probably going to realize it, then what are those steps that need to be put into place to help to, to level? So we already know that inequities exist. When we think about this in terms of wage disparities and the challenges that the pandemic has had as women not only have stepped out of the workforce, but I've experienced this in my own place of employment where people have had to take leaves in order to take care of their children or they've had to step down to part-time. How do we change that performance evaluation structure? How do we change the promotion structure? How do we change our income distribution structure and how do we change and get rid of occupational segregation so that women do not have to face this. We have an opportunity now to, to make some changes. I was actually really encouraged um, by listening to um, WSESA this morning as they were talking about some steps that companies have put in place to help employees address challenges to the pandemic. They seem natural ones that could have been there already. So now everyone is facing a situation that women have been facing all along and we're inputting changes. We were already here, right? We as women were already dealing with these challenges and figuring out how to navigate them. So now that we've had our eyes open, let's keep our eyes open and let's keep some of these, these um, allowances, um, put them in place for, for long-term. The other piece as we think about it is in terms of wealth accumulation and having an ability to take discretionary income from your budget and to put it into savings so that you can actually think about weathering a storm is something that is important. A lot needs to happen to get incomes and wage disparities reduced and, and to get incomes increased. That there are some efforts that are um, taking place in the city right now. I'm really happy to see what the Gender Equity Commission is doing in terms of their pilot. That city of Pittsburgh, we need to think greater and in terms of our region. And also I believe it's important for us to advocate and combine our voices so that we can actually affect change on a larger scale. I have to say um, as an HR professional, uh, many of the things you mentioned are HR related and the conversations we're having among ourselves as HR professionals is um, we're not going back. We're taking all the positives we're learning from this to move forward and, you know, Performance appraisals is, is absolutely one of them. Uh, I know a number of companies who have actually uh, done away with their performance appraisal system this year and instead have implemented wellness check-ins. Instead of evaluating the performance, which is critical, just have a check-in where the managers are checking in with their employees to see how they are personally uh, managing the pandemic. So I, I completely agree that we need to learn from this and to move on and alter our pro processes and our thinking and our, our mindset uh, in a more positive manner. 
You know, and thinking about the, the workspace challenges that people are facing, and, and Brittany, you had mentioned workload, you had mentioned the emotional workload that women are taking on. Can you talk a little bit about the, the impact of the pandemic on overall stress and anxiety and how that's affecting mental health, especially for women? Yes, absolutely. Um, so I'm, I'm one of my other hats. I'm a licensed psychologist. So um, I, I see clients and we know across the age range and, and genders that um, people are seeking out support, right, which I think is great. Um, and but I think it's an indicator of the amount of stress and anxiety that people are experiencing. And, you know, Sandy, I'm actually really happy to hear that Workplace, some workplaces are instituting wellness checks. Um, I think what I've seen a lot of and heard a lot of um, it with clients and, and in my own experiences is um, being asked to do more with less. So, so um, some of what the stress is, right? So it's a global pandemic, right? So people are concerned about their health and the health of the people they love. And the function of this being something where we can maybe mitigate our risks or, or protect ourselves to some extent, which is good, but also creates like this constant anxiety, right? So, so the ways in which people feel like I'm somehow supposed to keep myself and my loved ones safe um, can actually add to, right, the anxiety and this expectation that, that, that it's even possible for us to do that, right? So, um, and then because this has had such a huge impact also on the economy, a lot of people have either lost their job or are worried about losing their job. So you're adding on a stress, you know, related to health and then a stress related to um, economics and, and um, just like keeping your job around. Uh, and then I think something that, that we don't talk enough about is that a lot of people are experiencing grief. And, you know, when people lose a loved one, we understand that they're going to experience grief. But a lot of people, even if they, they haven't lost someone to COVID, they're grieving. They've maybe lost their job or they've had to step back from their job. Um, they've lost opportunities for celebrations and rituals. Um, they've lost connections to other people. And grief is, is really um, has a big impact on us. And, and I think creating some space to acknowledge that, that we are stressed. Um, that we are grieving, that we are anxious, um, that it's okay for us to take care of ourselves and each other, that the expectations to do more and more and more are not helping, right? Um, and that it's normal for us to feel stressed and overwhelmed um, and to like give ourselves some space to do self-care and to slow down and step back. Um, but I think it's hard if, if you don't have any supports or structures doing that, right? So workplaces really have to be willing to say what needs to get done, what can we let go, um, restructure evaluations is huge because otherwise you can't, you can't slow down if you're at risk of losing your job. Um, it just adds to, adds to the stress. That's such an important point and, and you're really making the case for these wellness check-ins and how important something like that will be at the organizational, quest, uh, at the organizational level. Patrick? You know, one thing that is pretty interesting that I'm hearing is, you know, I think Dr. Reynolds, you had mentioned that, you know, and Dr. Brickman as well, um, you know, a lot of what we're putting out in terms of our reactions or responses to what we're dealing with has already been done, right? And you listened to you say this morning, I heard that article as well, the news story as well. What can we do to encourage more innovation or more conversations to start to look at things that well, not necessarily illuminate you know, the challenges and the responses, but to kind of push us beyond you know, what we're doing right now. And I guess that's the question for all of our panelists. 
if it's okay, I'll, I'll start. And so it helps me when I have, when I do acronyms, when I think about a word. So care is, is the word that I came up with. And it doesn't mean that what I'm going to present um, in care is anything different, but it's thinking differently in how we do it. So um, first is collaboration. And so that loss of childcare spots, and what does that mean for people getting to work? There are childcare centers that will likely not reopen. How do we then collaborate to, to make sure that children are being taken care of, that we also have opportunities for, for children to do virtual learning? Our YWCA site in Homewood Brushton is serving as a community learning hub for students K through five who pa whose parents have to go to work, but still, their children um, still need a, a safe space to do school. Advocate. And so, as I mentioned earlier, in terms of, you know, childcare workers, you know, can we get them in that, in that first tier? What are those other issues that we need to make sure are always at the forefront of our minds that we don't let the pandemic make us forget all of the challenges that we were facing as a community before? And how do we then advocate to make sure that these changes are made? R is recognized. And so when we were talking earlier about like when I was talking in terms of community and as the other panelists were speaking, again, that's us. So we need to recognize that our employees, those who are working either virtually or working from work, that there are other situations that they are facing at the same time. Like, are they able to make ends meet? Are they facing the possibility of an eviction? How are they gonna take care of their utilities now that things are increased? Paying food bills when we know that groceries have gone up. So, so recognizing those issues and, and sometimes it means actually speaking. And then the last um, part is to actually get deeper into that in terms of engage. So how do we engage people who are facing this firsthand into the solution? So rather than top down, how do we say, you know, as a collective entity, you know, get rid of this hierarchical structure wow, wouldn't that be great? Um, and so even as a, a CEO, you know, when we had the floods that happened, you know, it's I'm, I'm moving stuff up to the above ground floors too. So how do we actually engage so that we're talking one-on-one, collaborate, advocate, recognize, engage? Dr. Brickman, I was really um, intrigued by your uh, comment about grieving. And uh, it, when I think of grieving, I don't connect it with every aspect of life. So I think that was uh, very intriguing, but, but I have a question. So we're talking about during the pandemic and from many individuals I've talked to, this is gonna be their norm after the pandemic as well, because many companies are finding out that uh, working remotely is actually beneficial to their organization. And I actually know an individual, a woman, who has been told already that she'll be working from home. And I know she doesn't deal with it very well as far as stress. And I kind of tied in with that grieving process of what does that do to her mental? So I, I guess, how would you encourage somebody that their future looks like it's going to remain the same? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think, um, I, you know, I, I love the acronym CARE that uh, Dr. Reynolds just shared. So I'm going to probably hold on to that and borrow it. But I think that E part is so important, right? So 
Um, so this particular woman may not have been able to do something about this, but how did her workplace make that decision? And did they ask that? Because some people are loving working for, I mean, you know, it's a pandemic, right? But so abstractly are happier at home. It works mostly for them, would be happy to work full-time at home or part-time at home. Some people, it's the worst thing for them, right? So in a given like industry or company organization, if the people making the decisions actually engage the people the decisions are gonna affect, um, you could you could still end up with the same percentage of people working from home and not working from home, but they might be a lot happier because they got to sort of stay. So, so you know, it's maybe there's a, a depending on that person's position and the power dynamic, they might be able to sort of engage, have a conversation with decision makers about like, hey, could we can we talk about how this decision is being made? And then you know, if a person you know isn't able to change the situation that they're in, I think. Um, like letting themselves like grieve a little bit, like acknowledge that the situation isn't what they thought it was going to be like, and that, that it's okay for them to to be upset about that and to grieve what the loss is, and then to try to take stock of what is it that they're in particular are losing, right? So part of um, you know we talk about these stages of grief that are that are common experiences people have, but but also you know what in particular um, people need or what works for them or what they're losing isn't all the same, right? So we have to make, we have to kind of figure out for ourselves, like, what is it that I need? Um, do I need alone time? Do I need time with um, colleagues? Do I need, you know, what, you know, time like going for a walk? What is it that I need? Um, and giving myself permission to have that. And then, I, you know, I think encouraging people to make use of resources, um, whether it's an employee assistance program where they can get connected to a mental health professional um, or some somebody who can they can also talk through those things with to figure out um, to talk about the feelings and express them and then also potentially game plan right if this is the situation I, I'm in and I can't change it how am I going to make the most of it um, what is that going to look like for me what do I need to do to to make this work for me but I really think the more that workplaces are making these decisions in conjunction with the people it's impacting the better off everyone's going to be Um, Jessica, I'd like you to uh, maybe sort of jump into this conversation, if you could, from an educational perspective. Uh, so we're talking about, you know, opportunities, how things have changed, how it's impacting women. Uh, specifically from an educational perspective, you know, we've all heard about, you know, the traditional classroom, but a lot of education happens outside the classroom, which is really expertise. How's that changed and how's it impacting women and, and what can universities do to provide these continued opportunities outside the classroom for women. Sure, um, I'm happy to talk about that. I wanted I wanted to mention something because I think it's really important um, that our, our other panelists mentioned too, which is, um, if you don't mind, it's it, we talked about finances and we talked about um, wage disparity. But when we look at looking at it from an educational point of view, more women are going to college, but the um, national student loan debt is actually carried by women. So we have 23 million borrowers that are women. Um, 23.2 mil million borrowers currently are women. And when you have women that are Black or African American, they actually carry more debt than their um, than their counterparts. And so when we're when we're talking about um, all these different layers and another burden their finance, I think 
looking at student loans and the average debt for um, those students that we have to think about that too because that's that's so important and that's something that stays with students beyond the four years or five years that they're in college so i think that that is something too that we need that's not often thought about so when i'm talking about peeling back the layers of education this is another one that's there so when you're having a uh, a woman who maybe is new into the workforce taking care of um, is a caregiver also employed maybe taking something part-time but um, also having to pay back these student loans and then worried about their job being cut back or furloughed. It's just so much more added to it from the educational point of view. So I, I, I wanted to put that in there because I just thought it was really important to talk about and, um, and for people to think about because it's, uh, it's, it's an ongoing problem. It's an ongoing crisis that we have. And it's something like Dr. Reynolds was talking about. It's not in, and Dr. Brinkman has said, these were problems before the pandemic, but they were being exacerbated by the pandemic. And, um, you know, that's a lot of money. We have, um, it, 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 I think it's something like $929 billion are owed by women for student loans alone. And the statistics or in the reports show, there was a report in 2018 that shows that women are taking student loans to pay for college and to pay for the gaps in the necessities they need for life during that time where their counterparts and men are taking them out to purchase items to make their quality of education better. Things like luxury goods, cars, um, paying for um, uh, technology and things. And I'm not discounting that. I think that, you know, I'm not saying that they, they don't need those things, but the statistics are showing that women have um, an absolute necessity, an, uh, necessity to take those loans for that. So, sorry, I just thought I was, I'm, I feel very passionate about that. Um, and to answer your question, Sandy, you're talking about um, experiential learning. And um, so in the world of study abroad, we're all crying. We've been mourning, Dr. Brinkman, we have been grieving in the world of international education for almost a year now. And it was um, about 11 months, uh, you know, it's gonna be close to in December, we started getting, there were some people who were starting to feel like, is there something going on in late December, right? Our students who are overseas, students are getting ready to, to go for their January term, students that are staying and extending. And we're looking and we're sort of hearing things, but we're worried we're in our own worlds. And then in January, our whole world changed and in international education. So um, a lot of times people were thinking, um, okay, that education, international education, or I'm sorry, um, you know, we think about March really hitting, it really hitting the U.S. In international education, we started hearing about this in early January, late December, early January, and trying to figure out, is this a localized thing? Is this something that I need to, to, to plan on bringing our students home? Are we gonna be sending students overseas and really looking at that student mobility and what that's going to be? So um, we've been looking at that and putting in, and I think if you talk to um, anybody in international education, they'll tell you this was, this was a tough one. This was a rough year um, because all of the scrambling and all of the building to play in the air that happened in the spring of 2020 sort of led to nothingness. There was no mobility in the summer. There's no mobility in the fall. And then no, you, there's, there's questions, right, for 2021. So um, 
as a, as an employee, as a professional in the field, we're 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 struggling because you know we're struggling on a lot of different levels. Thinking, well, what am I doing? You know, if I don't have students coming in and going out, what is my job? Um, how can I fill this role that I have at the university? How can I continue to be an educator um, when I can't do my primary function, which is to send students overseas and to receive students overseas? And then we have to counsel students too and help guide those students because they're also mourning. They're mourning the fact that they've been told that this is a one in a lifetime chance for them and they need to go overseas and they need to make this and they need to do this. And we've seen this whole like paradigm shift and this whole messaging shift from our field that says, it's not one in a lifetime, it'll always be there. Like, don't despair, um, you know, Sweden will be there in 2022 when you can try and go again. Um, so we've been kind of trying to help students with all of this. I think um, when it comes to women's issue, we know that 80% of, through the open doors, you can, you can get these reports, but 80% of students who study abroad are women. Um, and it, it's been pretty traditional on that, um, on, that, on that line. So we are dealing with a lot of uh, women and a lot of, uh, of, um, of, those, of those, the females um, who want to study abroad. What we're doing in education and in this field is kind of like everybody else. Well, if you can't go physically, let's go virtually. And it's obviously not the same, right? And it's a slippery slope. Do you really want to open that door and say, sure, we can do a virtual exchange with Japan. Just fill out the paperwork. We'll have you do your online Zoom classes. Um, but is that really fulfilling the role? Is that really giving the students what they need? Is it really having an impact on what it would be like to get lost in Tokyo for a day? Is that, how do you figure out when you get sick, are you gonna go to your clinic here and talk to them in your broken Japanese? No, you're gonna talk to them in English because you're in America. Um, if you get sick while you're overseas and you have to go to a Finnish doctor, you're going to struggle, but you're going to learn that vocabulary and you're going to learn the system. And it's just so much more than beyond the classroom, as you were talking about. And that's where I think this is really, um, this is really problematic uh, for, for education, for international education. And um, so, I, yeah, it's, it's really hard to answer your question. And, and there's grieving on a lot of different levels. It's Samantha. Tying in your perspective, you know, you are a current senior. You did have the ability to study abroad last year. Uh, and you're also working in this, you know, talent acquisition position. So you have kind of a unique perspective to bring. So what are you hearing? What are students and upcoming and new grads, what are they really concerned about? Well, I think that there's this lack of confidence. You know, they have these four years that they've worked so hard on, and this is not the workforce that they thought that they were gonna be entering at all. And I think there's just a lack of confidence of, did I do enough in the three years before the pandemic hit? You know, a lot of people think senior year, I'll do that study abroad, I'll do that internship, I'll do a co-op. And then that's, it's challenging because there's that lack of opportunity right now. So I think there's a lack of confidence that comes along with the lack of opportunity. Am I good enough to get this role? Did I do enough? Have I experienced enough to take on this full-time job after I graduate? 
So I think that there's just an overall lack of confidence in these new recent grads, um, just because they don't know whether they not whether or not they fit in that workforce that's now existing. And, and along those lines, you know, that lack of confidence that 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 really that really resonates. You know, what could, from your perspective, what might universities or workplaces, organizations, what might we do to help support students during this, uh, during this time of, you know, kind of uncharted territory and great uncertainty? I think there just needs to be support with career planning, with, you know, networking. Networking is a huge thing right now. You never know when you're going to come across an opportunity. And I think networking is huge right now for recent and new grads. I think just being there to support them, having webinars, virtual events that can help them prepare for their future, and definitely LinkedIn Learnings. I think recent grads and new grads should take a hold of that while they can. Um, you can learn so many new skills through there, and I just, I just think there needs to be support, supporting them with their career planning, where they need to go, and just having those events and conversations about how the workforce has changed and how to help them get into the workforce. Well, let's um, continue along that um, conversation and, and we've sort of talked about this a little bit already. Dr. Reynolds has uh, sort of touched on it, but if um, Dr. Reynolds would share even more, do you have any specifics that you think leaders, steps that leaders can take? You talked about the care, we've talked about awareness, and, and this is sort of getting into uh, take the hills area of expertise, but what should leaders do? I would start with listening to their employees and understanding that, <laughs> and I'll just, have, just be frank with this, sometimes they will not tell you everything, right? So I, I had one employee where I had to very basically explain to the employee, I much rather value that you tell me everything, even if you don't think I want to hear it, than to hold back and that the situation gets worse on the end. And recognizing I started February 24th of 2020. And then within a couple of weeks had to send my team home because childcare centers were closed down. So it's, you know, I need you to trust me, but at the same time, um, you're also establishing and building a relationship, which, which can be challenging when you're a new leader, but having those times. So we, um, and I'm not saying that this is going to work for everyone, but we have brown bag lunches and the brown bags are, yes, I have some administrative updates that I need to slip in there, but then it's just an open, the last brown bag we talked about, you know, in this, you know, whole vein of grieving, the grief that some of our employees were facing over Thanksgiving. Like Thanksgiving was a time that they were looking forward to spending with family and friends and now it's not going to happen that way. And just being open and, and even me as a, as a leader being vulnerable. Um, so one listening and then the others being, being, being vulnerable to say, you know, really loving spending more time with my daughter, but I really hope our relationship makes it through virtual learning. And I'm being straight up serious about that one. And the other piece is, is being able to say, what are some other ways that we can work in some shifts and changes in culture? So, you know, um, at YWCA, our, our work day is a little different. We actually have um, more PTO days than a lot of organizations that I've seen. I mean, it's like you come in with about 27 um, days that, that you have for PTO and our work day is like a seven hour day. But who says that seven hours has to start at eight, right? 
You know, what if someone says, you know, I need to take a break because I know that my child, that intense period is between 12 to three and I'll pick it back up later. So allowing that, that flexibility for those who are working virtually and for those where it's not in terms of the childcare center, it's thinking about that wellness. So when we were talking about reopening, it was engaging those workers. What will it take for you to feel safe? Understanding I can't develop a vaccine, so I have limits. But in terms of where I can make a change, let me know what you need. And then those places that are outside of me, then I need to connect with those partners that can, that can help to make those differences. So those are just a, a few examples. So I, I want to continue with talking about relationships, but before I go down that path, um, I would like uh, Jessica to join in on the conversation about what leaders need to do. Thanks, Denny. I wanted to point out um, that when we're looking at, since my world is in international education, we start thinking about um, globally the leadership. And my first thought when Dr. Reynolds was talking, or in, in, in Sandy, when you posed this question, was some f really great, strong female leaders in our world. You know, we're talking about um, the uh, Jacinda from New Zealand, who, and she shut down that country effectively, I mean, in, in a matter of hours, and really was able to, to keep on that. Um, Angela Merkel in Germany was able to um, also join in and, and made some tough decisions. Um, and then you have um, the president of uh, Ingwen of Taiwan, who also a strong female leader um, and their countries have been, or they have been um, been able to really look at this pandemic differently. And I think that their leadership is something that, you know, people could maybe dive into a little bit more when we're looking at um, what's going on. Some of the things that have been attributed to them are personality traits such as empathy and um, their ability to multitask. I'm not saying that men are not empathetic or cannot multitask, um, but, uh, and I see Dr. Uh, the other Dr. Mulvihill is laughing about that one, um, but, you know, they're, they're attributed to having this as a female trait. So maybe that is something that the leadership um, is looking at. And when we have a crisis, it's oftentimes said that women can lead in a time of crisis. And maybe that is something to add to it. In education, in higher education, um, I think that the leadership is moving and has, I have seen um, that there is an increased or a heightened sense of shared governance. Um, there is a heightened uh, awareness to be made that we are student centered and let's not forget we are student centered and what does that mean? And from there, the definitions are, uh, are coming out to what is student centered. And for my institution, that meant reaching out to students and setting up, um, getting donations for students financially and also for the food pantry, making sure that students had their basic needs covered, that they were able to feed them, be able to be fed if they were living on campus, students were able to pay for their housing. Um, if a student didn't have a home to go to, that that was taken care of for them. So those are some things I think when we talk about leadership in the realm of higher education, that that is important to mention too, that we, we focus on them being student-centered. You know, and we want to also remind the audience that you're welcome to submit questions through the Q&A function. Um, and we welcome 
your questions and we'll get to them uh, throughout this session today. So I'd like to, um, we sort of, sort of started talking about relationships um, through this conversation, especially when Dr. Reynolds mentioned that she had really no sooner assumed her position and then the pandemic hit, hit and she had to send her employees home. And you know that's really sort of during a key time when normally as a new leader, you would be building that relationship with your workforce. So now here we are in this you know, virtual world uh, we're you know, teaching online, we're attending events like this. How do we build those relationships? You know, we're saying we need to listen to our employees. We need to have empathy. How do we do that in a virtual world? And I'm not sure who wants to answer this. So anybody, please feel free. Um, so I'll, I'll start. Um, so um, I actually kind of had a similar but much at a much smaller scale experience of stepping into the the role as program director as we were like the week before like and now we're shutting down um and i have an assistant um who i've never met in person and she's amazing and we've been meeting over um zoom or teams for you know six months now um so i think that as much as I get Zoom fatigue like all of us, I'm also really grateful for the technology to see each other because I do think that um, it is allowing more of that relationship building and fostering to happen than um, just if we just had, you know, to rely on telephones. So, um, you know, this is the thing where you're talking about a lot in psychology because most clinical work is happening over teletherapy and there's some telehealth that was happening before the pandemic, but it was not widespread. So we've been doing a lot of like, we're training our students to do that and telling them like, hey, you didn't know you were getting it trained to do telehealth, but now you are, because um, you have to. So, um, so the sort of ways that um, we know, I think, um, being able to show up authentically in a space, right? Like I'm sort of thinking about my cat just like crawling all over me, right? And we're like, well, you know, that's what she does, right? Or, or you know, if a, a kid's, you know, yelling or crying in the other room or allowing ourselves to be present, um, I think in this format that sometimes um, is where we have to perform, right? Um, and so if we only think about interacts with the camera as performative spaces, it's going to be harder to, to build those relationships. So finding ways to, you know, in some, some, times we do want to be more sort of on um but when we're just meeting with somebody how we can allow that to be a little bit less formal and it depends on the person right it might be that you change the environment that you're at right like so maybe in some meetings you're at like a certain desk or a certain space and in other conversations you shift to another environment like literally just putting yourself in a different environment um, can be helpful um, and then you know there's ways to engage with activities that you know people are coming up with games online and other things but um, but i think part of it is just um allowing ourselves to to not have to you know, always be on to like show up and be present and, and interact with each other um, in this space. Um, it's not going to feel the same, I think, but, but, I, you know, I think seeing each other is really helpful um, and gets us a lot further than, than we were, would have been, you know, experiencing this pandemic before this kind of technology. Yeah, I'll jump in here really briefly, uh, you know, just to, to mention why I was smiling a little bit on earlier comments about women being better leaders. Uh, you know, I always talk in my leadership classes and, and with a lot of you know, students, and there was a research project that was done uh, about two years ago that measured the core qualities of leadership. And women 
vastly outperformed men on the 20 characteristics that they looked at. And the two that were a little bit behind percentage-wise, if you look at the analysis, uh, were systemic perspective right, and professional experience. And I think looking at those two, and again, you know, I certainly welcome your insight. You know, I think a lot of that relates back to perhaps a little bit of the glass ceiling and women in higher leadership roles. Right, so maybe that's not a little bit surprising, but if you look at what's needing right now, you know, to answer your question directly, you know, some of the other characteristics that, again, women vastly outperformed, boldness, empathy, change management, relationships, right? All of the things that we need now in our organizations, not to continue the status quo, but to really respond boldly and innovatively to take whatever the requisite steps are to move us forward collectively are things that I think, again, you're going to see more of from women in leadership roles within our organizations. And you know, you guys have, have attested to that thus far. So that's the, kind of the point I wanted to just kind of re reiterate there. Yeah, and we got a, a related question from the audience that I wanted to share. Uh, Earlier, the concept was mentioned of replacing performance evaluation with wellness checks. Great concept. Question for the panel, though, has to do with career competition in management roles. How does the pandemic impact managers trying to continue to be successful and build their careers? You know, while having empathy, do managers still try to get the best work they can from employees so they can be successful from their own perspective as managers? I believe that's that's important. And, and so figuring out, again, what are those success measures? One component that we've um, changed in our performance evaluation, and again, changed from, from prior to me being there, is this professional development goal for every single employee, like thinking, what is it that you'd like to grow in professionally? And understanding that there are some of my employees that have no desire to, um, to aspire to a management level position and asking why, like maybe it's the managing people that you don't wanna do, are you okay in terms of managing a project? <laughs> Does, or is, is there some other way that you would like to expand or grow um, from that perspective? But yes, understanding that it's, if I have an employee who has to shift down to part-time work because they're a caregiver for a very, very young child, then what does that mean in terms of if a promotion becomes available, that employee being able to take it? And so. Uh, the thing is, I want the employee to be successful at the end of the day, and that employee, he or she should be able to decide what success uh, means, understanding that there are still goals that have to be met. Establishing those goals are happening at a departmental level in collaboration, um, not only with the leader, but with the other members of the team. The other thing that I think is important for us to put out there um, is succession planning. Um, many times we don't always think about the fact that you know, we might leave the organization one day. Who is being trained up um, to take that position? It'd be great if that could be an internal person, but you know, maybe it's someone that comes in from the outside, but an internal candidate should definitely be a strong person in the running. So are we providing those opportunities? Are they seeing budgets? Are they understanding how they're made? Are they understanding what it takes to actually be in a leadership position? I think it's important for us as leaders to be more transparent so that people understand that entire process. So she can make her decision for herself <laughs> and say, you know what, 
this is something that I really want to go for or not right now. So it sounds like, you know, when we're thinking about, uh, you know, our role as managers, that communication and that collaboration and transparency are really critical in understanding what uh, others, you know, that we are working with, what they're looking for, what their expectations are. And then we can try to help them grow and develop in the way that makes sense for them. And then that has, you know, kind of the domino effect that allows us to continue to grow and develop. And also relinquishing some control. You can't control everything as a leader because again, when something happens and no one else in the organization knows how to handle it. So we've been talking about, you know, the role of leaders in organizations, women as leaders. We've also talked about a number of challenges that have you know, been really exacerbated by this pandemic, not necessarily created by the pandemic, but some of the things, you know, that we have to think about as we're moving forward. Um, so when we think about, um, when we think about those next steps, what do you think is, is one area where you'd like to see some long-term permanent change happen within organizations? What's maybe one or two key elements that you think are really critical moving forward? I mean, I can talk about um, my institution and some things that I've been seeing in higher ed. And um, although it seems like a really small thing, um, it's still talking about this idea of student centeredness. And that's across every, every facet of the university. So whether you're in, if you're a, a teacher or professor, if you're in a student services housing, or if you're in accounts payable, your first thought is, okay, how is this going to impact the students? And while we sometimes forget that in our roles, because we need to get our work done, we just have to, we have so much work and we just have to get it done and whatever it takes, this has really been able to uh, have us step back and say, okay, how is this going to impact students? Or you know what? The students are really stressed about a lot of things and they're taking on a lot of burden that we don't even know about. So how can I lessen the burden for them a little bit? How can I lessen the burden for my colleagues? How can I back up? And sometimes it's just a matter of stepping back and saying they might be going through something that we don't even know. And while this seems like we should always be doing this, um, I think the pandemic has really um, really illuminated this idea that we're all human and we're all doing the best that we can and um, i think that that we ha if we can remember that going forward that we all are doing the best that we can we would be so much better off in helping each other and working on that so one of the questions i have for the panel um, is this idea of the burden of leadership how can we become more cognizant of either our students or younger employees? Uh, how can we be more aware of when we're shifting that burden of leadership onto them when they may not be ready to receive it, or they just may not have the capacity to do so right now? What are the things we could do to be more cognizant of, of that action? Um, so one of the, uh, 
things I'm really interested in right now is emergent strategy, which is um, Adrian Marie Brown's work. And there's a, a whole sort of area of emergence and leadership. And some of the principles of that, I think, are really relevant, particularly right now. Um, the work really talks about how to um, how to pivot, right? So how do we know what are, what are our values, what's important to us, and then how do we how can we then you know adapt to circumstances that happen that are out of our control, like global pandemics? Um, one of the the sort of elements of emergent strategy is actually thinking about leadership um, as being interdependent and decentralized. So I'm going to sort of <laughs> lean actually in when we should and why we should be including students and and newer employees, but sort of the how we do it, right? So the idea is that um, even if there's a, you know, a top dog, right, identified role of somebody who's in charge, um, that really the more that we have an interdependence around um, what are people bringing to the table and what do they need, right, and being able to be um, vulnerable in what your needs are and honest in, in what you can offer, and the more we sort of decentralize um, decision making, the, the better off we all are, we could get more ideas, We're, we um, come up with like um, strategies that more people are on board with, and it also prevents any one person from always holding all the burden, right? So, so I think then it's easier to say, how do we bring students and new employees into decision making? Because it's not a, I'm making it or you're making it, right? It's not, the decentralization is sort of a sharing of power. So. So then someone can say like, oh, you know, I'm not ready right now, or I need to step back a little bit right now, right? And it allows um, for people to be honest about when they're like, I'm, I got the energy and I'm in this and I'm, you know, I can be really fully on or, you know, hey, I need to, I need to like time right now to take care of myself and step back a little bit. And so when the expectation isn't that you should always be 100% on or you're not a leader, um, to sort of shift away from that, really, to thinking that, and it's hard, right, because it's, you know, it's about, some of that requires vulnerability on the part of the, of the leader, right, not micromanaging, being honest about what their, what their strengths are, but also the things that aren't their strengths, right, and relying on, on other, others in the organization, um, but I think it allows everybody to show up and participate, and then there's some of that, like, um, um, caretaking to happen because it's not any one person having having to do it all and the, and I think it also models for for students and new employees that they don't have to say yes to things they're not ready for but they're it's also okay to say yes right so it allows them if you're seeing your leaders say you know I'm going to do this but also this person is going to do that I think it helps um, people not feel like they have to you know, we're not all good at everything, right? Like, thank goodness we're all not alike. The world would be super boring, you know? So allowing us to have our strengths and our areas that aren't our strengths to be collaborative across those things, um, I think is really helpful. I think when when people come into an, a, a workplace and think they have to be good at everything 100% or, or they're not doing their job well, um, that that can be incredibly overwhelming. And I think too, if I'm just going to jump in, um, Brittany, that that is where as a woman and the research sort of supports that too, especially when Patrick was talking about that article, that's where we fall short. We will apply for a job that we can walk into and feel confident that I might have to learn a few things that I can do. We are, we are less likely to jump into a job or a position um, that we, we feel we're not qualified for on paper. Um, and 
our male counterparts are applying for those jobs and doing that even though we may be exactly equal on paper. So when you're talking about that, I think that as a woman, we're a little more reluctant to take that, to take that leap of faith. And I would be remiss if I didn't also mention the pipeline. So we've been talking about women, but I think it's important for us to talk about teens and girls. And so what are those mindsets and, and norms that um, our children are learning that they're then carrying with them into a, adulthood? So I think it's important for us to also, you know, think about that, you know, that pipeline that's coming through and how are we helping to support young girls and teens as they're preparing to enter into the workforce and leadership positions. And that might be an area where Samantha might have some thoughts to add as we think about that pipeline. Yeah, no, I think that like support is just extremely important. No one wants to go into a role, especially a new position and not really have that leadership or not know where they need to step in. And I think just having that support, you know, mentoring people as they come in, just having that, you know, one-on-one -on -one conversation is really important and building that relationship and that connection and supporting each other through, you know, this tough time and through the positions and the task. Well, one of the areas we were also interested in talking a bit about, you know, as we're thinking about overall leadership and we're thinking about impact and we're thinking about pipeline, one of the other areas we, we should probably touch on is policy. Uh, and, you know, thinking about driving or influencing needed policy that will help carry us beyond the pandemic. Because I think, Angela, you had talked about, you know, the changes that we're making now shouldn't end when the pandemic ends. You know, we've, we've identified some systemic challenges. So can you speak a little bit to, you know, maybe some policy needs or some areas where we can have some real impact? So we've seen persistent wage disparities, right? And we've also seen that they have been persistent um, in terms of that intersection of, of race and gender, as we, as we mentioned before. So policies need to be put in place that allow women to make more money for the jobs that they are doing and that women should be paid the same amount for a job as a male is, period. And so when we're looking at, you know, what are some practices that are happening across the, the country, being able to import those and to say, what are those barriers to actually making sure that women are able to make the same amount and are able to have a sustained living? That's, that's one policy. Thinking about family, family medical leave, how do we allow more time for women to take a leave without having to have a fear of, of losing her job? Being able to say, you know, outside of a pandemic situation, I have a loved one who is sick that I need to care for. I have a mother that I need to get to appointments. I have a child that I need to get to, to appointments and it's, it's on me to do it. And how can I make sure that I have that security of my employment to be able to do what I need to do? And that's across industries. And so even in this pandemic situation, and I've, I've been straightforward with you, I have two sectors. I have those that are able to work from home and I have those who aren't. There's no way my childcare workers are going to be virtually watching someone else's children. They have to be in that spot. What happens then if there is an exposure I need for them to, to stay away, but I don't want them to fear that they're going to lose their job. 
because, because they are. There is, is one location that we operate outside of our home with Burson location where there was a positive COVID case, had to shut it down, but making sure that that call is happening immediately, we have you, we wanna make sure what is it that you need to, to be able to, to move forward. So being able to employ these policies that allow people to take the time off for their own self-care and also for the, for the care of others. And then the other thing in terms of um, a policy that I think is also important for us to recognize, um, YWCA, we're all about empowering women. We're also about eliminating racism. When racism has been identified as a public health crisis, then that means that there need to be policies in place to address it as a public health crisis. So when I have black and brown women who are coming to work and have just had a, a, a neighbor who was, was shot, um, that has just experienced some trauma, and even in terms of dealing with the criminal justice system and the unfairness and the biases that exist within that, being able to have policies that protect um, our employees and allow them that mental space to be able to, to heal from that. And to understand that that needs to be recognized across the board. Um, and and I, I know we don't have time to really talk about this because we're talking about the pandemic, but there's also a racial justice awakening that's happening in the country. Many of us were already awake to it, but now others are becoming awake to it as it's being exacerbated by this pandemic. Life has not stopped happening, right? And so we need policies that help people to thrive and survive in the midst of all the challenges that are coming forth. Yeah, and Jess, I think even from the university perspective, we've seen a number of changes in the way that we're interacting with students and the consideration we're given. Uh, and Samantha, you've experienced this as well. You know, I, I expect that in a lot of ways, some of the things that we've put in place at the university level will continue on. You know, having more remote options, having more online components for students that might need to miss class because they're working or caring for a child or a parent or have some other mm -hmm. challenges. So I think, you know, we're seeing the microcosm of that. Yeah, and I've also seen, and I, I know a number of schools have too, the, um, I, I mentioned before the shared governance and the student-centeredness, but we've seen the student uh, government, the undergraduate student government really come together in, and I've been at the university since 2005, been working in higher ed since 2003, and um, I've never seen the student government so active and so organized um, as they have been in the last year. And they came together and they went to the to the entities and they came to Senate and they they really bonded together and put forth some resolutions and they got um, the, they they had some change happen in the university quite quickly. You know, they were able to um, put forth a resolution and argue their point that they wanted the pass fail option for students because students were going through things that sometimes we don't know as faculty members or as staff or people who are not on the front lines with students or student facing. We don't know that, you know, they've been quarantined for two weeks. They don't, we don't know that a parent or grandparent or, um, they've become homeless or some parents have died because of this until we hear them from the students and it's really unfortunate but the students have come forth and they said no we need this we need this option um to have and um while it's tragic that it has to happen it's amazing to see how they've come together in a really positive and professional way to affect these changes at the university yeah and one of the things maybe we'll see happen 
is that, you know, when we think about issues related to family medical leave and issues related to, you know, significant societal concerns like racial injustice, you know, the students who are experiencing this and who, and who then are met with compassion from the university, hopefully they can take that compassion forward and remember right. these issues right, as they move into managerial and leadership roles and they're able to start to make these changes in society. You know, at the beginning of um, our discussion today, I talked about allyship. So I would really like um, if each of you could, if there's one way, like something we can do to help make these policies change, what can we do um, individually and as a collective to see these policies actually change in our near future? Sure, I'll jump in real quick just to get it started, Sandy. Um, I mean, as you know, leadership and organizational theory and behaviors is kind of something that I'm really passionate about. And one thing that I focused on is creating the white space to have the courageous conversations, whether it's about you know, inequities, social justice, um, work-life balance, wellness, whatever it may be. I wanna have the environment where either the individuals that I'm responsible for in my sphere of influence or even teammates connected to our section of the world uh, to be able to, to come to us or me or anybody on my team to be able to have those conversations. And I think that will be the springboard towards from which change, real authentic change can not only be developed, but sustained over a period of time. We also need people who are willing to share their stories and and I'm not saying like in this exploitative fashion, but you know I'm trained as a statistician, but each one of those statistics represents a person. And when we're talking about making policy changes, I've, you know, I've been in those um, situations where you're testifying before, you know, a joint committee. I can't just rattle off stat after stat after stat after stat. I actually have to be able to demonstrate the real people within their jurisdictions who have faced that particular challenge. And so anyone who would be willing, and I, and I love that courage that people have to say, hey, I'm vulnerable right here, and this is a situation that I've gone through, and I'm willing to share it so that someone else, um, and also my life can be made better. As part of my job um, and is part of um, a, uh, a, I guess, a product of the pandemic, since we're not traveling, um, I started a podcast uh, with our students and faculty and community members uh, about international education and internationalizing your life or internationalizing the campus and curriculum. And one thing that it just come up over and over again is it's the almost the randomness of, uh, which I guess if it happens over and over again, it's not really random anymore. And I, I hate to talk about statistics in front of Angela. Um, so, uh, but what they're, <laughs> what, it, what keeps occurring is this idea that it's all about relationships. And it's because I went down this street and I went into this one place that looked interesting. I met these people and then I met this person and it was just, a series of um, seemingly random things that happened over and over and over and over again to the different students or faculty members I talked to when they were overseas that led them 
to be who they are today and led them to have these amazing experiences. And the common thread through those experiences have all been, everyone was so nice to me. Everyone reached out to me and gave me the benefit of the doubt that I was just a stranger in a foreign land trying to learn something. And so I think if we keep that in mind that, you know, we're all sort of strangers, right, in, in going through something new. But if you have an international student or even just a student and we, we just kind of say, hey, do you, do you need something? Do you look lost? Or, hey, um, you know, you can go over there for this or where are you from? Um, I think it will go a long way. Um, so I think uh, similar to that, I think relationship building, and I, I think about my work in the Black Girls Equity Alliance, and um, you know, our mission is to end the inequities that Black girls experience in all of our systems in Allegheny County, right? So long long term plan, um, but but we're working on it by being in cross-sector collaborations by centering the voices of Black girls, having them tell us what's happening, what do they need, what kinds of changes should we make, um, and knowing like, you know, I'm bringing some things to the table and there's a lot of ways that I don't know what it's like to be a Black girl, right? So what can I do as a white woman to support that work and advocate for that work? And then when do I need to listen and learn and step back? Um, but it's really long-term work and it's a commitment to the work being long-term, um, staying in it and, um, and working together, right? And so we do, we do advocacy work and we do research and we do direct service with girls. And so sort of like figuring out what our mission is um, and then using the different strategies but really for me I think it's building those long-term relationships and long-term commitment to the work um, when the pandemic you know hit in March and the school shut down uh, Kathy Elliott at Buns Girls decided to start a tutoring program because so many kids were not getting what they needed and it, we had planned on doing it she's like I need help interviewing people okay you know like just being there being available um and you know being in it for the long haul to make those changes so that we're going to have wins and we're going to have losses but um but I think that like Jessica said being committed to the relationships um and and staying in it is um is how some of those changes are going to happen also, and I definitely think, you know, being proactive and jumping on it once you have that conversation and you open that doorway, you know, working on that next step and being proactive with it. And if it doesn't work out, think strategically and keep trying it until you get it in place. I think you just have to jump at the chance and keep working on it until you can finally get it right, hopefully. And, you know, we've, we've been talking about leadership and, and um, we we're talking about women in leadership, but and, and I hate to take it another avenue, but I think one of the issues we have is that many times leaders of organizations, whether they're men or women, uh, are not educated on many of this, uh, these issues and so forth. Uh, as you're talking about statistics, I'm sitting here saying, wow, I didn't know that. Wow, I didn't know that. You know, and, and again, I might not have that knowledge. I might not have that understanding. Um, you know, we carry a lot of biases with us when we go into certain positions. And I think that many times we need people to point out our biases. And I think it, it, that's what happens with many leadership um, within organizations is that they carry their biases with them and they need, a, they need educated. Now, you've got to find that avenue, that venue. You've got to find a way to educate the, those individuals. And I think that's one step 
closer to, uh, because I think that if I would have understood a lot more, maybe I would be a little bit more passionate about uh, change. Maybe I'd be uh, uh, a little more uh, willing to uh, seek out for more change and so forth. So I'm just speaking from the other spectrum. Maybe we need to educate them. Yeah, that certainly can make a difference, right? You know, being willing and we, you know, we've done some work through the Women in Industry Initiative related to unconscious bias, you know, and trying to help educate and create that awareness. And we continue with the programs through the Win Wednesday series and our Accelerating Women in Industry to hopefully to do just that. I think you make a, you make a good point that it's important to, to, to be educating and creating that awareness around the issues that we face. You know, and as we're coming towards the end of our session today, uh, I think it's also helpful to, to think about you know, what each of us has, has done to move through the, the pandemic with as much, I guess, grace uh, and empathy as, as we can. So I'd love to ask, uh, to ask each of you, each of our panelists, what have you turned to for inspiration during these difficult times, this time of uncertainty? Uh, and maybe, Brittany, we can start with you. Sure. So um, I'll say two things. So one is um, nature. So I, I, I actually love to travel a lot. So it's been hard not to do that. But I just I hike. So if I can get outside and be amongst the trees and, and in nature, um, it's really rejuvenating for me. Um, and then I think um, you know, I, I don't have family. I'm not from Pittsburgh. I have no family members here, um, but I have a lot of chosen family. And so um, connecting with them, lots of people have been sort of checking in with me, uh, finding ways, whether it's, you know, on a hike with masks or, you know, over Zoom um, to stay connected. Um, my family's all over the country. We're in every time zone. So we've been doing these group family Zoom calls with my four-year-old nieces and my and the whole, and it's chaotic, but also kind of beautiful. And something we couldn't have done before the pandemic, it never did. Um, so I think for me, yeah, being in nature and then just like knowing how important my relationships are and finding some way to, um, to connect with the people who I love. Thanks so much. Angela, what have you been doing? What ha where have you found your inspiration? Well, I, I'm a woman of faith, and so one verse that um, sticks with me is one that speaks to being strong and courageous. And I look at my team, and particularly my, my child care workers in the resource center, and every day my child, I have a child care worker who's coming to work, they're risking exposure, right, every single day. And I have resource center employees that are working with, with people many times that have been exposed to COVID yet they are passionate about what they do and they do it. That is so inspiring to me that I, I work harder to support, um, to, to continue to support my team. Thank you. Jess, what have you found? Or where have you found your inspiration? Well, my first answer would be the liquor store, but um, I'm only joking, but sort of serious. Um, and, and what's funny is like, because I travel, um, I travel for my job and I talk about travel and, and, and constantly doing that. I was thinking the other day, this is the first time I can ever remember that for nearly a year, I have not been out of the state, let alone the country multiple times. I haven't been out of the state. And um, so we've been really fortunate to, uh, what I also realized is that I've never spent this much time with my family either. And uh, we have three kids and uh, 12, nine and five who have been learning from the living room 
So, and Patrick and I have been working from home too. So we've really been able, we've all been jammed in this space a lot together. Um, and something that, uh, that uh, we haven't done is really put time into working in our house. And we've lived here for a number of years and we've, we always say, oh, we want to fix this up. We want to fix that up. We want to do that. Maybe next year at this time, we'll do that. And all of a sudden we were like, well, we've got a lot of time in our house. So we, we systematically just made a list and started thinking, you know, it would be really nice if we actually did this. And so we've been doing home improvement projects and um, it kind of is a very, um, a somewhat spiritual experience, right? Just to change the color of a room or to update something in the bathroom and to spend time together doing it, planning it, and then actually getting it done. Oh, that's great. It's always great to, to find ways to fit in some of the things that we have often put off. Samantha, where have you found your inspiration? So I mentioned the LinkedIn learnings. I love doing them. They're constantly up on my computer. Um, but before this, I lived on campus for the school year and Sandy can attest to this, but I'm super close with my parents and I did not think that relationship could get any better living at home. I thought that it would just get worse. Um, but I really built like that connection with my parents and I'm closer to them more than ever. But I've also built that connection within my local community. I live in a small town and I'm more active in it. I'm hosting church events. I'm helping with local fundraisers we're doing. So I've just been really in the community lately and really building connections with the people around me. And I, I'm excited for it and I love doing it. Oh, that's so great to hear. Dennis, where have you found your inspiration? Well, I'd probably have to say Patrick. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I, I mean, I find my inspiration, I, again, my job hasn't uh, really changed much. And I, I'm const I'm, I teach at so many different uh, universities, it keeps me busy. So I, working at home or working in my, actually, I like being at home because now I have a window. My, my office at IUP doesn't have a window. So uh, actually, it's, it's just been good for me to just be working from home and to uh, relax a little bit, a little bit more, um, and just working on uh, the house, like Jessica said. So that's kind of what I've done. Oh, that's great. We're all finding our inspiration in, in different yet somewhat similar ways. Patrick, how about you? Sure. So not to be sappy, but um, in all honesty, I, I found my inspiration from my wife and kids. Uh, what's interesting is I think for those of us who are parents, you know, I, I kind of pride myself on being a, a knowledgeable individual about leadership and, and human behavior in organizations. But having been at home over the last six months, I've taken on the new appreciation, I think, uh, for the work that my wife does and managing three different school age children who are at home learning. And it's, it's increased my depth of learning and understanding as it relates to some of the things that I'm teaching in the classroom, because uh, it made me think about leadership and time management, or even just management in a whole new perspective. So I think that's, that's where I draw my inspiration from. Family and work seem to be common themes for all of us to some extent at least. Sandy, how about you? Where have you found inspiration? Mine would be family also. We, um, the pandemic presented us with a really unique opportunity um, our daughter, who's 39 and has lived down south for the last 20 years, was informed she was going to be working from home for until the end of the year or more. So she called and said, would you mind if I worked from your home? And uh, 
very, she's our only child and very few people get the opportunity to spend this much time with an adult child. And um, I'm not saying it's perfect. It's been a struggle. She came with a full grown lab. So, um, but it's just been wonderful. I never thought that in my lifetime, I would have the opportunity to spend this type of quality time with her again. And Doreen, would you share with us? <laughs> yeah, I think, um, you know, I feel like I've embraced the idea of radical self-care. I didn't realize that I wasn't doing that, that I wasn't caring for myself. And uh, the, the, the ability to fit in things like dog walks in between classes or a quick lunch with my daughter before I jump on a Zoom call, uh, being able to get some things done around the house and, and get my space more organized has brought me so much joy. And so I think that's, you know, the, the time spent with family and recognizing that I wasn't giving myself what I needed anyway, you know, were really enlightening for me throughout all of this. And as we wrap up today, uh, I'll, I'll ask all of the panelists if you have any final thoughts or comments that you want to make sure you leave our audience with related to, you know, finding this path forward for women, uh, because we will move through this pandemic. There will be a life after pandemic that, you know, might be the same, it might be different, but we have some impact in what that looks like. So, you know, what final thoughts would you like to share? And maybe we can start with uh, Samantha. Um, so for me, I would just say, you know, keep pushing forward. If you're graduating soon, don't let this affect you. You're doing enough. Just keep doing what you're doing. Um, if you currently have a job, keep doing what you're doing. Also, um, you know, it's challenging, but we're all going to get through it. And there's a lot of support that you have with your organization and your coworkers and your friends and family. So definitely take that advantage. Jess? Uh, the one thing that keeps the the word that keeps popping into my mind is resiliency and um, how that can be attributed in different ways. Um, so that idea that you can be resilient um, in your work life, in your home life, in your spiritual life, um, with family, um, that there it might not all happen at the same time, um, but it 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 can happen in different areas. Brittany. So I think um, thinking about how this can motivate and inspire us for transformative change and really like checking in what matters, what matters to us as individuals, what matters to us as organizations, as a society and like, and changing, right? Changing the way we do things so that um, we're really valuing our, our ourselves, our connections to other people, our employees, our colleagues, um, and really like moving forward, not just, you know, going back to the way things were, but saying that it's time for us to make some changes. Um, and this is an opportunity to do that. And we'll close out today with Angela. I would say find one new resource. It, everything we talked about today can be extremely overwhelming if you try to research and delve deeply into all of them, but choose one. Gwen's Girls would be a great one. Um, YWCA, we also have um, some, some resources as well, but just find one and learn one new thing. Say by this time next week, I will have learned one new thing about the situations and challenges that women are facing. 
Well, thank you all so much for joining us today. We are so honored and fortunate to have you with us to talk about such a timely and important topic. Uh, I'm going to share my screen again because we do have uh, some additional events that are coming up on the women in industry uh, calendar that relate to some of the things that we've talked about today because this conversation, while our session is ending now, and we only had a short 90 minutes together, uh, well, we borrowed a few extra minutes there, um, but this topic doesn't, it, it doesn't end. This conversation doesn't have to end. We do have a Win Wednesday session coming up this coming Wednesday, December 2nd, Mindfulness and Business Practices with Jennifer Ferris Glick. Uh, and then we also have uh, a kind of a save the date for March 5th. We will be talking about something that, you know, did come up in today's discussion, resilience. Holistic resilience will be the theme of our Accelerating Women in Industry workshop in conjunction with International Women's Day. And we're also seeking proposals for our spring speaker series, virtual speaker series. So if you have any interests or ideas for sessions or presenters, you can email Sandy directly at smervosh at pointpark.edu. We'd like to thank you on behalf of Women in Industry and Take the Hill podcast. Uh, also special thanks to the Roland School of Business at Point Park University for supporting our efforts to educate, empower, enlighten, and encourage the conversations and the allyship that we have seen today. Thank you all so very much.